Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to open with a question regarding prayer, and that is, how is it that we can have confidence in prayer? How can we have any confidence at all in prayer? And God's word, God's word says this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so how can we have confidence in prayer? Well, we ask according to God's will. Or we could pray the petitions that God's given us. And that's exactly what we're talking about, the Lord's Prayer, the petitions that God has given us to pray back to him. And so how important is this prayer? How important is this that, that we're studying today, the Lord's Prayer? And I want to emphasize the importance of the Lord's Prayer by remembering who it, who it came from. Like, who are we receiving this from? I want us to remember this before we read this text. Who are we hearing? This prayer, if we're asking to be taught how to pray, if we're trying to figure out how to have real confidence before God in prayer, then we need to remember this prayer is from the greatest teacher that ever lived. Like the one, the one that's teaching us now is the greatest teacher that ever lived. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. And this is the greatest prayer, prayer, one who prays. Nobody prayed like Jesus. You, you want to learn how to pray? This is who you listen to. And this prayer is from the one and only mediator that exists. The, the one and only mediator between God and men is the man Christ Jesus, the one who's teaching us to pray. There's only one mediator, and he's teaching us now. There's only one great high priest, and he's teaching us now. There's only one advocate before the Father, and he's the one who's teaching us how to pray to the Father. There's only one person sitting on the throne of grace, and he's the one teaching us how to come to the throne of grace. How to pray. This prayer is from <laughs> this prayer is from the Son of God. From the Son of God Himself. The Word made flesh. These, these are His words. And so you, you want to know how to pray? God says, This is my Son. Listen to Him. And so that's what we need to do. We need to listen to Him. We need to learn how to pray like this. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have made us your children by the blood of your son. And you have given us a taste and a sight and a glimpse of your glory. And we love it. And so glorify yourself here today. Give us what we need here today. Teach us how to pray as we listen to your son. Help us. Send the helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 6. I want to start at verse 5 and read all the way through the end of the Lord's Prayer. This is the word of God. From the Son of God about how we should pray to God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, 
Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for all their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And those last three petitions are what we're focusing in on today. Verses 11 through 13. And so I want us to remember the purpose of this prayer. Why, why did Jesus give us this prayer? It is a framework for our daily prayers. And this passage assumes that we're going to pray. It assumes that Christians are going to pray. If you heard that repeated over and over again, when you pray, and when you pray, and when you pray, pray like this. And so there's an assumption that we are to pray, and this prayer that Jesus is giving us is to correct something. It's to correct the wrong ways to pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. He says, this warning in verse 5, don't be like them. They just, they just pray to be seen. And in verse 7, he warns us not to be like the heathens, the Gentiles, who just heap up empty phrase to worthless idols. Instead, he gives us this. Verse 9, he says, pray then like this. And so this is a framework that he's given us, a framework for our daily prayers. It's given as a model, not a mantra, I think, Ryan said last week. This is to be followed like a God, not a chant, not a magic formula, although there's nothing wrong with praying God's word as it's written. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, pray this. He says, pray like this, like this, in this manner. So this is this prayer is meant to be a model for us, a pattern, a, a framework. And so what, what should you do with that? I, I would say you should memorize it. If, if you're going to use this as a, a framework, you need to memorize it. You need to strive to submit all your petitions somewhere in this framework. And I would even say go, step it up a bit. We talk about praying God's word back to him, praying his promises Back to him, man, learn how to pray God's word in the framework of God's word. Now, regarding this framework, I want, I want you to notice the structure. And I think Ryan made a few of these points last week, but I want you to see some more. Notice there's six petitions, and there's two divisions. So there's two groups of petitions, each with three each. So we've got God's glory on one hand, and then the second half we've got our needs. Praying for God's glory and praying for our needs. God's glory, praying for his name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. And then our needs, our daily provision, our forgiveness of sins, and our protection from evil. And that's how the thing is framed. But notice this priority. What comes first? Our needs are God's glory. God's glory comes first. God's glory, then our needs is the order. Ryan said last week, God's glory is our obsession. Pray that way. Let your prayers reflect that priority. John Stott said the top priority of our prayer is not our name, our kingdom, our will, but God's. And that's our greatest concern. So we saw that last week, but now as we 
zoom in a little further on this second half, I want you to notice not only God's glory as a priority, but notice God's goodness here. Notice God's goodness. This, the order of petitions and the contrast between the two should put us in awe. It should put us in, in, in awe if we really see what's happening here. We've got the hallowed one who really cares about our daily bread. The transcendent one in the midst of ordering the universe tends to my most basic needs every day. Think about Psalm 8. I know a lot of you know Psalm 8. I want you to think about my little loaf of bread from a cosmic perspective. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above our needs, above the heavens. Man, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, who am I? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you really do care? And verse 8 here says he already knows what we need. And he cares. And he listens. And he provides. Mind-blowing omniscience. Mind-blowing compassion. You can see it in the stark contrast in these petitions. And let that also be reflected in your prayers. That you, have, you acknowledge God's goodness to his children. Now, just zooming in on the last half of it, what we're preaching today, these, the last half of these uh, petitions, I want you to notice the spiritual priority that's given in these last three petitions. The last half of the Lord's Prayer is focused on our needs. But note, there's one petition for our physical needs. And there's two of the three for our spiritual needs. There is but one petition for the body, but two petitions for the soul, Thomas Watson. And we should take note of that. We, what, is that what is that telling us? What is that showing us? It's showing us that our greatest problem is not starvation. It's sin. And it's showing us that our greatest need is not groceries. It's grace. But man, what's our greatest concern all the time? The physical, the here and now. What's God's greatest concern? The eternal, the spiritual. Learn from this. Pray this way. Align our prayer priorities with those of God's. Pray for souls. Pray for your own soul. And the, the last observation is one that was made last week. I want you to just notice once again the plural pronoun. When you pray like this, remember these plural pronouns. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. These petitions are personal for sure and corporate. And so what do you do with that? You pray these things for yourself. You pray these things for specific brothers and sisters in Christ, especially here at GCC. And you pray for the church all over the world. In this framework, like this. So, these petitions, the last three, petition number four is this. Give us this day our daily bread. Man, I've studied this a lot. Looked at all the ancient sources. 
I want you to lean in. I want you to tell, I'm going to tell you what, you this, what this really means. Bread. Bread means bread. Daily means daily. Write that down. Daily bread means daily bread. It is nearly impossible for us to relate to this petition. Now, I want you to get that, too. It really is. It's, it's nearly impossible for us to relate to this petition. I want you to see. I mean, I, I want you to feel just how far we are from this biblical context. And you've got to try to remember that the people that are hearing these words literally live day to day. They literally live hand to mouth. It's hard for us to imagine, but trust me, it's true. Prayer for bread is a big deal when you don't have it. It's a big deal. And I'm not talking about worrying about how you're going to pay your light bill or even worrying about how you're going to buy groceries this week. I mean, you don't even know if you're going to get a slice of white bread by bedtime. This is what we're talking about here. No wonder. The people tried to make Jesus king when the bread bomb Justin, exploded in John 6. There's a king for you right there. Imagine these folks walking into Kroger. They would fall out. They would fall out. And people still live like this <laughs> all over the world. We're removed from that, them, and we're removed from this. And I want us to try to get our minds in that. You know, imagine, can you imagine living this way? And getting quarantined for a couple weeks? You and your family as good as dead. Babies starving. So imagine what this prayer would mean to them. Father, please, please give me today my daily bread. Don't let me get sick today. Don't let me get hurt today. Please help me find some work today. This is what petition number four is all about. It's a prayer for God's daily provision. And what, what can we learn from it? What is it teaching us? It's teaching us first to embrace our utter dependence on God. Give us. Notice that first word. Give. Give us our daily bread. If we've got bread, it's a gift from God. And one that we don't deserve. The Lord opens his hand. He opens his hand. If you're, if you're fed today, if you're not starving today, it is because God opened his hand. If he closes it, guess what? You die. He gives. We're not starving to death because of his kindness. Embrace this truth. Like, embrace this. We're utterly dependent upon God, our Father. And we're utterly dependent, utterly dependent on the million different secondary causes he uses. Because, man, if the sun's too hot or too cold, the crops die. <laughs> if if it rains too much, it rains too little, the crops die. We get another shutdown, and the bread stop, the bread truck stops coming. If you get sick, really sick, or quarantined ten times in a row, you don't work. You don't work, you don't eat. How many different ways is God sustaining us? The very first word of the very first petition reminds us that everything is a gift. From God. Martin Luther said, we are beggars. This is true. But embrace it. <laughs> embrace it. God is our father. Yahweh is our shepherd. He delights to care for his people. This is what it teaches us. That our father actually does. He delights in giving. 
He delights in giving. He is the source of, he's the fountain of gift. He is the fountain of giving. giving. He loves to give to his children. I got two little grandchildren. I'm telling you something, man. I would give them almost anything they wanted. I got a grown son here, and I would give him my left arm if he needed it. How much more? Our Father in heaven. This is, this is what Jesus says in this sermon, the next chapter, verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts, good things to those who ask? So ask. This is what he's saying. Ask him. Our prayers are his delight. He delights in giving. This is why he asks us to come, pray. Give us daily bread. Bread. This teaches us that this petition is for our daily needs, our physical needs. But is it just bread? Remember, this is a, a framework. This petition is meant, I believe, to uh, be for everything included. Everything necessary for life. Everything that, that's necessary to sustain us and to sustain our families. Food and clothing for sure. That's in the next section. But also gainful employment and the strength and the health and the wisdom and the skills from God. Gifts to do all those things. It all comes from Him. But We need to be careful that we don't stray too far from the petition itself. B.A. Carson says, the prayer is for our needs, not our greeds. Necessities, not luxuries. John Stott. And so, at the same time this petition informs us to pray for our daily necessities, it warns us about covetousness. It's a warning against covetous prayers. So think about that. How far do we stretch this framework? How far do we go for it? Jesus says pray for bread. We pray for a vacation house at the beach. How, how far do we take it? There's a reason why he says bread. And don't underestimate the connection between this petition and the very next sections, the very next set of commands that he gives us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. He says, do not worry. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Now stop for a second. And think about this. This is, this is the only petition in this whole prayer given to us by the Son of God and the Father who knows what we need. This is the only one that deals with material things. And he says, pray for daily bread. That's what he said. A warning against covetous prayer. So how far do we stretch it? But think about how many prayer requests we've, we, stuff, we try to stuff into this category. So when do we cross over? When do, when do we go too far? When does daily bread progress to covetousness? When do we cross over into that James 4 spiritual adultery? When he talks about prayer, he says, You ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. If that wasn't God's word, you'd think I was mean. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So this prayer for daily bread warns us to avoid covetousness. And it warns us against discontentment. Because what's the root? Of a covetous prayer. Discontentment. In what God's given you. That same passage on James. He says you desire and do not have. There's the problem. Your desires exceed the providence. 
Bible's full of warnings against discontentment. And this petition, I believe, is a warning for that. And it's also teaching us this, that we're to pray this way daily. I want you to think about it. There, there's no, nowhere in here does Jesus tell us uh, how often we should pray this, but here, in this petition. So how often should we pray for daily bread? Daily. If we don't, guess what happens? We starve. But I don't, I don't think that that means that we should just pluck this petition out, pray this one every day, and leave the other ones for the football game. Right? We should pray like this every day. Memorize this and use it as a framework. This teaches us to have faith in God. Faith in God's faithfulness. How faithful is God? Anybody ever ask you that question? How would you answer that? How faithful is God? I want you to think about what he's asking us to do here in this prayer. Is it bad to live hand to mouth? I mean, let me be clear that none of this, by the way, none of this, I think, suggests that we aren't to be wise and prudent and that we're not to plan or not to have savings accounts or, or any of those kind of things. I'm not suggesting that, but... I don't think there's any need for me to warn any of us about some false piety. If anything, it's the other way around. So I'm, I'm going to pull you. I'm going to pull you towards what he's saying here. And what is he saying here? What is he asking us to do here? These these commentators that, that, that talk about this passage, they really struggle with the, the, the translation of daily bread as to exactly what it means. Some of them say it means bread for today. Some of them say it means bread for tomorrow. But you know what? I like the image of the, the day laborer who wakes up in the morning and says, give me bread today. And he goes to bed and says, give me bread tomorrow. Or I won't have any. A dependence on the faithfulness of God. And this all lines up with what Jesus says. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. That's coming up. That's verse 34. So what's he asking us to do here? Be content with today. And trust me for tomorrow. Trust me. I am faithful. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've ever starved to death. He's answered this prayer already. He, he's answered this prayer 10,000 more times than you've ever prayed it. It's faithfulness. Faithfulness, not even depending on our prayers. So Jesus is calling us to pray for what God is already doing because he knows what we need before we ask. But this is about trusting him. Trust the Lord. Dwell in the land and feed on faithfulness. That's what he's been called to do. So let's pray like this. Let's live like this. This, is a, this, is, this keeps us from faithless anxiety. From worrying about tomorrow. He's already done it 10,000 times. Don't worry. And don't stockpile. This is a warning against faithless stockpiling. Don't, don't fall in either ditch. Have faith. Don't worry about tomorrow. Have faith. Don't stock it up. Don't store it up for tomorrow. He says pray today. Pray, give prayer today for daily bread. Have faith. Don't store it up. I mean, surely these Jewish day laborers would have been reminded about the manna in the wilderness. Remember that? What, what did God tell them? Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Sound for me? God says, I'm going to rain down daily bread day to day and don't store it up. Guess what? They tried to store it up. Why? Unbelief. I told you I'd give you bread tomorrow. Unbelief. Faithless stockpiling. Jesus reminds us in, in just a little bit that birds don't have barns. And I want you to think about this. Kids don't have deep freezers. 
We're children of God. The Father knows what you need. Don't be like the rich fool. Tearing down his barns to get a bigger one. And his soul was required that very night. Live on God's faithfulness. Live like there is no tomorrow. Trust him. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, petition number five. Forgiveness of sin. He says, and, next petition, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Another secret interpretation. Debt means sin. Debt means sin. How did I figure that out? Well, that's the way Luke says it. Same prayer. Forgive us our sins. Sin is a debt to God. Sin is a debt to God. And every sinner, you and me, is in debt. Deep, deep debt to God. And there's a price. There's a price that must be paid for sin. There's a debt owed. And this, this petition is a plea to God to just cancel our debt. Just erase it. That's what this is. This is a petition, a prayer for God's forgiveness of sins. And what does it teach us? First, it teaches us that our greatest need is forgiveness. Look at the first word of the petition, and. And tells us we can't just stop asking for daily bread. Man, we need more than that. We need more than to get our bellies full, man. No matter how much bread you have, no matter how rich you are, you owe a debt to God. A big one. The wealthiest man who ever lived is damned without forgiveness. Oh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, and he does, who could stand? Nobody. But, the psalm says, but with you there is forgiveness. That's what this teaches. This little petition teaches there is forgiveness with God. Man, what a wonderful statement. What a wonderful truth. There is forgiveness for God. We are asking for forgiveness because there is forgiveness. Which is amazing because how is it that man can be right with God? You know, sadly, most people think that there's nothing more to the gospel than what we see in this petition. That God can just forgive and forget sin if you just ask what about the debt? What, what about what you owe? What about that price, that big price that must be paid? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when you pray, get this, when you pray, God, please forgive me. You are actually praying in a sense, God, please kill somebody else. I know the wages of sin is death. But please, God, lay my debt on somebody else. And guess what? He has. Man, this is what this petition reminds us of. That God has shown his love for us in that while we were still sinners, somebody did die for us. Christ. The one teaching us how to pray. Christ died for us. See, God laid on him, he laid on him the debts of us all, the iniquities of us all. The Son of God crucified on a cross for our sins in our place, buried and forgotten, but raised on the third day that we might have righteousness and life and forgiveness that we're asking for right there. Man, we are praying good news. But we're still praying. 
This petition teaches us that we still sin. Christians still sin. It says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us. Christians. Remember the Sermon on the Mount is for Christians. This prayer petition is for Christians. One who called God our Father. We're asking Him for forgiveness. And to pray for forgiveness is to acknowledge sin, right? The very fact that we ask for forgiveness is acknowledging, confessing that we have sinned. So Christians still sin. This petition teaches us that. And it Teaches us that our sins are many. Don't just forgive me my debt. Forgive me my debts. Plural. Man, our, our sins are many. And we underestimate how many sins we have transgressed against God because of His holiness. We, don't, we underestimate His holiness. We underestimate our sinfulness. Thomas Watson says we cannot tell how much we owe. So try to find out in this prayer. Pray for conviction. Lord, show me my sin. Forgive me for things I don't even know. For you are holy. You are holy. And it teaches that we sin often. Many and often. Because here's that and again. And forgive us of our debts. The and connects to the forgiveness, uh, forgiveness of sin to daily bread. How often should we... Pray for the forgiveness of sin. How often do we need bread? Man, as often as we need to eat, that's how, that's how often we need to pray. For forgiveness of sin daily. Why? Because we sin often. So we should pray often for the forgiveness of sin. It teaches us that we need forgiveness. Forgive us of our debts. Again, this is, this is for Christians because we still sin. And we still sin often, and we sin many times. So we need forgiveness. Christians need forgiveness. But wait a minute. Why do we need to pray for forgiveness if we've been justified by faith? This petition is not teaching the need for re-justification. Over and over. This is not teaching the need to go in the confessional. Over and over again, the Bible te teaches us that we are justified by faith, justification, forgiveness, total forgiveness. This righteous declaration that we have been given the righteousness of God simply through faith in Jesus Christ. So, how many sins were forgiven by Jesus? All of them. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. When, when was our sin debt paid? 2,000 years ago. Having forgiven us of all our transgressions, all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debts. Nailing it to the cross. All our trespasses paid in full. It is finished. So, if you believe that, and I do, then either it is not finished, and we have to re-justify ourselves every day by confession and petition, or this is referring to something else. This petition is promoting for us a close communion, a loving communion with our Heavenly Father. And I think the key to understanding this rightly is to understand that this father-child relationship is real, not just an empty metaphor. What, what kind of child is it that perpetually disobeys and displeases his father and never, ever says, I'm sorry? What kind of child is that? Well, it's one that uh, has no love. For his father, has no gratitude for his father, has no uh, desire to have a relationship with his father because sin displeases God. And, and, and like a disobedient child, our sin displeases our father in heaven. But he doesn't damn us. He disciplines us. Isn't that, isn't that what the Bible teaches? That the Lord disciplines the one he loves? 
And if you're left without discipline, you're not a son. So as a genuine child of God, our heartfelt aim is to please God and to quickly repair any offense that we've caused. And this petition shows us just how easy that is to do. Run to him. Here's how you do it. Run to him and say, Father, forgive us. Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I am sorry. See, sin separates us from God. But it's not that God goes anywhere, but that we move away from God. Like Adam, when he sinned, we often pull away. But God says, where are you? He says, draw near. And how do we draw near? Not by casting the blame somewhere else. Not by denying we sin, but by coming to him, drawing near to God and saying these words, Father, forgive me. Guess what you'll find? Forgiveness. Full and free, already paid for, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This petition reminds us of that. It reminds us that we are forgiven. We are already forgiven. Remember who invented these petitions. Our Father in heaven. Remember who's teaching us to pray. The one who died for our sins. He says, pray like this. Ask me for forgiveness. He knows what you need before you ask. That's why he sent his son into the world. To save sinners. That's why he sent his son into our hearts. That's why he gave us this, this petition to, to assure us and to clear our conscience. Father, will you forgive me? This petition says, yes. I have. It promotes holiness. Because what does all that goodness and grace make you want to do? Stop sinning. I'm sorry, Father. I mean, a child that grieves his loving father desires to never, ever grieve him again. It cultivates praise for the grace of God. And this is, this is the highest purpose of the universe. This is the purpose for which you were created. Unto the praise of his glorious grace. And the greater the depths of your sin, the higher the glory of his grace. So when you pray, our sins they are many, you rejoice, but his mercy is more. Like, that's what happens when you pray this, rightly. Now, this last phrase in this petition, I'm leaving to Dustin. Not totally, but it, it's connected to the next passage. But I want you to know what it does, it does teach us. It teaches us that forgiving others is a necessary evidence of our own forgiveness. You hear that? He says, forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, let's be clear again that Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. He is not teaching that we must forgive each other in, in, order to, in order to earn. We're not earning forgiveness and righteousness before God. We're justified by faith. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But there is a very important element of conditionality here. It's so important, in fact. There's another passage. Right after this, verse 14 and 15. Dustin's got that next week. There's also a parable, the parable of the unforgiving servant over in Matthew 18 that, he, that Jesus further explains this very necessary evidence, this conditionality. But I'm going to give you a couple of quotes and then I'm going to move past it. John Stott says, God forgives only the penitent and one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones, proof that you and I are forgiven is that we forgive others. The highest evidence of grace, a sign of God's forgiveness. See, brothers and sisters, this is one of the Beatitudes. We're peacemakers. We are children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's, 
That's who we are. We are a forgiving people. We're the reconcilers. If you remember in chapter 5, we're the re- we quickly reconcile. Whether we're the offender or the offended here. We reconcile. We are children of God. Therefore, we imitate God. We forgive people. As our Father forgives people. That's what that's about. And so, that should, praying this rightly, should promote forgiveness. As we're praying this petition, we hit this second half, man, it should remind us to extend forgiveness before we even ask for it. So don't pray it. Don't pray it to God until you settle it with others. This is what we do. So pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last petition. Petition number six. Protection from evil. Verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Does God lead people into temptation? Your instinct and your impulse is to quickly say, no way. Well, then why in the world is Jesus teaching us to pray something that God would never do? What's going on in Matthew 4? Turn back a page or two. Matthew 4. It says, first verse. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What is Jesus being led into? Temptation. It says to be tempted. Same same word, same word family. Important thought here. Who's tempting? Who's doing the tempting? The devil. It says to be tempted by the devil. Who's doing the leading? God. Jesus was led by the capital S spirit. And so the Spirit of God led Jesus to be tempted by the devil. So, let me ask the question again. Does God lead people into temptation? Don't answer yet. But you understand that this word has a range of, of meaning, and that's part of our problem. We understand, most of the time we hear that word temptation, we understand that, to, and we think, an enticement to sin. But the underlying word here has a much greater Range, as a matter of fact, most of the time it means test or trial. Occasionally, it will have a narrow meaning of uh, enticing to sin, like in James, which is what the passage in James is what makes us go, oh, wait a minute, God doesn't lead us into temptation. Because he says there, narrow view of this word. God cannot be enticed to sin. He cannot be tempted to sin with evil and he himself entices no one he doesn't tempt anyone into sin but in the very same paragraph James used the very same word word it says blessed is the man who is steadfast under temptation under trial and so does God entice people to sin absolutely not does God lead people into trials for the testing of their faith James says so. He says, count it all joy. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials, same word, trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under that trial, who, who has stood the test. He's going to receive a crown of life. Peter says, now for a little while, if necessary, You have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith is going to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does God lead people into trials for the testing of their faith? Yes. Here's some examples. Abraham. God tested him. When he called him to sacrifice his son, it says, after these things, God tested him. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and slaughter him. 
Was that an easy trial? Was that an easy test? Absolutely not. A grievous trial. Indeed. Was God enticing Abraham to sin? No. Was God testing his faith? Yes. Did Abraham pass the test? Yes. What about Israel? Israel in the wilderness. They were tested there with the manna. We've already talked about that. But he said, I'm going to rain bread from heaven that I may test them. And so... Did they listen? No. Was God enticing them to sin? No. Did they sin? Yes. Unbelief. And so this, this word has a range of meanings from trial and testing to the actual enticing of sin. So how do we know the difference? And I would argue that the purpose of the trial, the purpose of the testing, the motive behind it all gets to the difference. Like Joseph came to realize at the end of Genesis that all the evil that fell upon his life was what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In Matthew 4, when the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, what is God's purpose in doing that? It's to test and to prove that Jesus is the one and only true and obedient son of God to earn righteousness through his perfect obedience and sinful sinlessness for us. But what was the purpose of Satan in the very same test? To destroy the son of God, to entice Jesus to sin, to halt and destroy God's plan of redemption. One trial Two motives. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. And so this petition is God's protection. It's praying for God's protection from evil. And I think it's twofold. One, that God would not lead us anywhere near it and to deliver us when it comes. A prayer to, to not lead us anywhere near it and to deliver us when it comes. So it, first, it teaches us to avoid to pray to avoid the temptation to sin. It says, lead us not into temptation. The last petition was for the forgiveness of past sin. And this is a petition to keep us from future sin. Matter of fact, so future that we're talking about today. Today. Protect us from sin. Even today. Father, please, this is what we're praying here. Please lead us not into temptation today. Order our steps so that we might avoid sin. That we might avoid temptation to sin. Even the appearance of sin. Lord, lead us away from temptation. Let us avoid it altogether. And it's a petition to teach us to pray for deliverance when it comes. When we are tempted to sin, deliver us from it, Lord. So keep us away from it, but when it comes, help us. We need help to fight temptation. We need deliverance. And guess what? This petition promises deliverance. God can deliver. God does deliver. God even provides a way to escape. You know what Paul says? He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he, also, he will also provide the way of escape. Pray for that. So that you may endure it, he says. Pray for that. Lead me not into the temptation, Father. But if it comes, help me get out quick. Help me get out. Quick, help me to endure. But you know, if you understand this meaning, not just enticement to sin, but also grievous trials and testing, I think this petition teaches us it's okay to pray to avoid that. It's okay to, to, to pray to avoid grievous trials. And the, the Bible makes clear that we're going to face them. We're going to face grievous trials. We're going to have seasons of testing, seasons of hardship, grief, persecution, testing of faith. And the Bible makes clear that these are for our good. He says, count it all joy. 
You're blessed if you have these things. If you're steadfast, this is the tested genuineness of our faith. So the Bible speaks highly of these things. But you know, they're not all the same. Not every Christian suffers the same. So pray that, pray that we would be delivered from those things. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't call us to seek those things. It doesn't say, it talks about martyrdom being good, but it doesn't say go, get a, go be a martyr. That's another religion. And it says, pray, Lord, be gentle with me. Be gentle with me in your providence. I know it's all for my good. Pray, have mercy on me. If it be your will, Father, if it be your will, lead us not into grievous trials. But if, if we find ourselves there, deliver us. Help us to persevere. Help us to endure. This is what this petition is about. The last thing I want you to see here is a footnote. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you've got a footnote, it says that last phrase, deliver us from evil, can also be translated evil one. The, the evil one. And this reminds us of this. There's an evil one. That seeks to devour Christians. That seeks to devour us. Do not underestimate this. The evil one is stronger than you are. And this reminds us of that. Peter says, be sober minded. Be watchful because the, your adversary is prowling around like a lion seeking someone to destroy. And, and that's actually in connection, I think, with persecution. Being hated for Christ's namesake, which Jesus himself is talking about here. And so remember that. Do not underestimate that. When you pray this prayer, remember that, that there is an evil one seeking to devour us, and this teaches us to pray for deliverance from him, from all of his schemes, from all of his harassment, all of his oppression, persecution, temptations and trials. And the Son of God protects those who are born of God, 1 John says. So this is a reminder, this prayer, that he will deliver us from the evil one because he has delivered us from the evil one. And this is the last thing you should remember here. That God has already delivered us from this one. Man, one of my favorite passages which connects right into what we're saying here is this. Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us already out of that kingdom and into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, the one who is teaching us to pray, is the same one who has already delivered us from the evil one. His death, through his death, he destroyed the one who had the power over death, that is the devil. He destroyed it. To deliver us, it says. Done. So, what can separate us? What can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Any of these things? Any of these trials or tribulations or any of these distresses or persecutions that we talk about or famine, no daily bread, nakedness, no clothing, danger, sword, people attacking us, death even, life, angels, things now, things to come. Is there any power, any height, any depth? Nope. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God our Father and the Son who's teaching us how to pray. We're more than conquerors. And guess what? All we got to do is pray daily like this.
Let's pray. Father, you are in heaven, and you know everything. You know everything we need before we ask, but you delight in our prayers, and you care for our needs. The one who orders the cosmos cares about our daily bread. Help us to love you and kill sin and ask for forgiveness. Lord, protect us. Protect us, Lord. We need it. We are weak, scared, frail sheep. And there are many wolves. But Yahweh is our shepherd. And we praise your name. We know it's all because of Christ. The one who teaches us to pray like this. It's in his name we do pray. Amen.